He who is mighty has done great things for me. That's what Mary said. He who is mighty has done great things for me. She said that when she wasn't even a month pregnant, standing breathless with her much, much older relative, Elizabeth, who also miraculously was pregnant. And I think Mary seeing Elizabeth pregnant was the confirming sign for her that this was really going to happen to her, that she hadn't just had some kind of crazy fever dream about an angel one night. This thing was really going to go down, and she is so happy that she sings. He who is mighty has done great things for me. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. I love that Mary says that she reduces it to the personal, and she reduces it to the intimate. She doesn't just say the mighty has done great things. She goes further. She says the mighty one has done great things for me. And any way that you look at it, that's true. What Mary couldn't have known when she said it, what she couldn't have possibly dreamed when she said it so early in her pregnancy that she wasn't even showing yet, was the strange and beautiful and difficult shape that it would take when it happened. (laughs) Of all the myriad ways that the Mighty One might have chosen to come in a million years, we would not have come up with this one. This story that we have heard again tonight, this story we have sung about again tonight. But in that moment, Mary reduces it to the personal in the intimate, and I wonder if you and I can also begin to find our place in that story. I mean, you have to start with the parents. Mary and Joseph hailed from the insignificant little town of Nowheresville, otherwise known as Nazareth. They were about as far from powerful and influential and in control as anybody could have gotten in the first century. And as happy as Mary was there in the beginning with her relative Elizabeth, it doesn't take too much imagination to figure out how the next nine months played out in her life. My guess is that probably nobody but her closest family believed the story that she was telling. That she was pregnant by the Most High. (laughs) That this king would be coming from her, this king whose kingdom never ends. And of course we know the shameful whispers were never far from Mary or from her baby for the rest of her life. And let's not forget, Joseph, Joseph didn't even believe that this thing was true. He couldn't believe it when Mary said it was true. And he didn't believe until this angel came and told him that it was true. I mean, think about Joseph. One day, he's this happily engaged young carpenter. And the next day, he is thrown into the middle of a scandal that he can't escape. And you know, it wasn't like the scandals of our world that get mediated by press releases and spin and television appearances and alternate narratives. This was just a good old-fashioned scandal of the small-town variety. Whispers behind your back, disapproving looks, quiet disdain, cold shoulders. 
hey, Joseph, Mary's pregnant. What do you think of that? So I'm sure it's been a difficult nine months for them. And now in this tragic comic twist that has been centuries in the making, they, they have to make this journey. Joseph has to take his very pregnant, ready-to-deliver-at-any-moment young wife on this 75-mile multi-day journey to Bethlehem. Why in the world do they have to do this? Well, on the surface of things, it's because some power-drunk emperor way off in Rome you can be sure has never heard of these little towns of Nazareth and Bethlehem. He, he wants to shore up his power and count the people and get some more money. But of course, underneath the surface, surface of things, it's a lot more complicated than that. It's how things work in this mysterious story that we have heard again tonight. Because long before the mighty Caesar Augustus ever came onto the scene, there was this prophet named Micah, and he said something curious about little old Bethlehem. He said one day a ruler was going to come from there whose coming forth was from old, from ancient days. So that's why they're in Bethlehem. And they get there. And who they really, really are becomes more clear. Even though it was Joseph's ancestral home, they've got no family to stay with there, at least not any family that's willing to let them in or able to let them in. These are poor folks, and they didn't have the resources it would take to get some kind of preparation made before they arrived. And so we know what happens. They get to the inn, and as Luke tells us, there was no place for them there. They are confused and tired and anxious and out of control. So Mary and Joseph go to plan B, which unbeknownst to them was plan A all along. That the barn, the animals, the contractions, the labor. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. (laughs) Could Mary ever, ever have imagined this is what it was going to look like? (laughs) Could she ever have dreamed this is what it will look like when the Mighty One comes? Could she ever have dreamed that when the Mighty One, the Mighty One finally came to regard her humble estate, he would do it with such staggering humility himself? I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think any of us could have dreamed it. So here is what we have to stop and ask ourselves on this Christmas Eve. What kind of king, what kind of savior, what kind of lord spends his first night in a feed box? Born to a couple of scared parents whose lives had been turned upside down with suspicion and shame and whispers. Turned away from the inn to be born under the indifferent gaze of animals. (laughs) Caught in the rough hands 
of a terrified carpenter. What kind of savior is this? Well, it is the kind of savior whose love for people like you and me (laughs) compels him to run with open hands to the lowest, to the loneliest, to the hardest, and even the most shameful situations. (laughs) That's the kind of savior who's born in a feed box. He was born as one of us, lived in solidarity with us, and he did it because the weariness and brokenness of this world, the weariness and brokenness that lives inside our hearts was too deep, it was too heavy to be dealt with in any other way. Good advice wouldn't cut it. Good examples are not what we needed. Great teaching from on high just trails off into silence. He had to be born and live and die, weary and broken, so that he could redeem the weary and the broken. This is the good news of great joy that those shepherds heard from the angels, those shepherds who were out working the late shift on the other side of town. This is the good news that they heard. The good news is that he comes to people like us exactly where we are. No situation is too troublesome. No situation is too dire, too humbling, too shameful. Nothing is too hopeless. It is never too confusing for him. He offers to us the grace of forgiveness, and he offers the grace of being made new, being restored into the human beings that we were made to be. As one of the other old prophets put it, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. That grace of Jesus was hard won at the cross, and it was secured forever by the resurrection. And this is always how he comes. And this is how he comes to us again tonight. So I don't know what it is that is swirling around in your head, in your heart, in your life on Christmas Eve 2017. Maybe some of us here tonight are struggling under the weight of worry over things that we cannot control. Maybe you have grieved underneath the stories of so many women speaking out of late about how they have suffered abuse at the hands of the powerful. Maybe their story is your story too. And maybe you haven't been able to speak it yet. Maybe you're wondering why you're alone or why you feel alone. Or why one of the relationships that you are in, maybe with family, feels so difficult. Maybe you're battling with an addiction or you love someone who does. Maybe you're struggling under guilt because of something you've done that you hope no no one ever finds out about. Or maybe you feel shame about something that's happened and you can feel that shame changing you into someone that you don't want to be. Maybe you're struggling in your faith. Or you're just hanging on to it by your fingertips. Or maybe you struggle with simply believing there is a God to be known. Well, whoever you are, wherever you are, listen again to Mary.
the Mighty One has done great things for me. He has regarded the humble estate of his servant. This is true. It is true. It is true for us now, just like it was true for her then. He meets us exactly where we are to forgive and to heal. So the party breaks up that night, and Luke tells us that Mary is just staying there, pondering things in her heart, treasuring them up. Meanwhile, the shepherds go off and they tell everyone that they come across this great thing that they have seen, this amazing thing that no one would ever believe. They've seen it. And then they leave praising God. And those people that heard the shepherds, they wonder, Luke tells us. They try to sort out how this thing could possibly be true. It sounds too good to be true. And I think this is Luke's way of maybe nudging us and saying, where's our place in this story? For some, it is to be the heralds like the shepherds to tell of what God has done for us, to praise him for what he has done for us. And to others, tonight it may be to wonder, to have faith enough <laughs> to draw near and see if it's true. Well, as the old carol says, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. This is good news of great joy for all people. Amen.